have a very special guest, a very beautiful guest. I'm just saying. Oh, I'll take it. <laughs> we have Jackie Jones, VP of Artists and Industry Relations at RIAA. If you don't know what that stands for, it is the Recording Industry Association of America. You know, the thing that I always thought RIAA did growing up, and even up until like a few years ago when maybe we had lunch, was like, oh, they certify the sales of songs and albums and they create these great plaques you know and that was like the thing and like you know when you want to get in the music industry everybody wants the plaques now they're piled up over here on the floor like everyone else in the music industry <laughs> um <laughs> you mean they're taking great care of them and they're in total i mean they're you know, well here's the thing i've just gotten a few during covid and i don't want to put them in my office in case my office like it's broken into when we're not there Right. You're just kind of like waiting. There's like three or four behind me waiting to go somewhere. But you opened my eyes to show me like how much more RIA does and how that's just kind of like a little bitty part of it. Like that's, you know, the big showy part of it. Everybody wants the pretty plaque on their wall. Um, however, that's kind of seems like more of like the minor side of what you guys do. And you do so many more things. Like you wrote me three pages. <laughs> so much and I want to talk about all of it and I really want to get into kind of like the things you guys do in DC with legislation and the things yeah. you are working to pass and the, like the rights you are fighting for for music artists I know right now um that has a lot to do with like COVID relief and yes. getting the music industry paid as you know a lot of people are out of jobs um you know I've been very transparent on the show that we were in a very interesting position during COVID where we actually had one of our best years because everything went digital. Right. Um, you know, but you know, we had at the beginning, it was really scary. We lost a lot of business in the beginning because everybody freaked out and didn't know what to do and said, hold your money, don't spend it. Um, but over time, we ended up being okay. However, a lot of my fellow music industry colleagues did not end up being okay. And, you know, as people know, I've spent a ton of time in the past touring. I work with a lot of acts that are touring and those people are still out of jobs. Right. Um, and then you have musicians that are making music and, you know, if there's no touring, you can't promote an album, albums aren't being released. It's a whole thing. Like it all kind of goes down to that and you know it's really hard when you're a musician to to one make money in the first place <laughs> yeah, for sure you know and two and you know you know I think people have a a general understanding of publishing deals and things like that but you know when you're a musician or even like a musician meaning like a songwriter or an actual studio musician or, or touring musician or an artist you are making your money as kind of your own business owner, you know, and I don't think a lot of people realize that. So like, there's not like, you don't move to Nashville, become a musician. Maybe, you know, you're a writer, you get a publishing deal. That's a certain amount of money. And in the beginning, it's not going to be a lot. Like if you're making right. a ton of money at publishing, you're fine. If you're making enough money at publishing, you're never fine anyways, <laughs> until you get a hit. And so in times like this, it's just you're screwed, you know? So I think that's, I think that's something a lot of people like maybe that don't work in the industry or are looking to work in the industry don't think of. Um, and, and it's a reality that I like to tell people very young because they don't understand like, oh, there's no guaranteed paycheck. Right. You know, it's hard. So I would love for you to kind of go into the, the things that you guys have worked on this past year to help uh, the musicians and the people in the music community in Nashville, uh, helping them basically pay their bills and get along during this, this really hard time. 
For sure. So, you know, going back to what you said uh, in the beginning about gold and platinum, you know, I love our gold and platinum program. It is a super fun part of my job because who doesn't want to like celebrate with everybody their accomplishments. And it's so important, I think, for there to be that, you know, defining asset or group that says, yes, you are, you know, triple platinum, you are all these things. And, and it's been really cool in COVID to be able to participate in that because obviously there has been so much that's been hard to deal with that getting to get on a Zoom and give somebody a platinum record has been a real like light, right? In the darkness. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we love our golden platinum program and it allows us to do a lot of awesome things, but it's not all that we do. So when I first came to start talking about going to RAAA, I was, you know, really curious, you know, my biggest question was, what do you guys do? Because I had heard about golden platinum a ton, but I hadn't heard about all the other things like content protection and the lobbying that they do on the Hill. Um, and that's been the most awesome thing about being here is learning that there are these organizations out there protecting the music industry that I didn't even know existed, right? Um, and there's a lot of us. There's the Recording Academy. There's NMPA. There's the National Songwriters Association. There's a lot of people that are constantly working together to get these protections. And that was like the main thing that actually made me want to go to RIAA was at the time, Mitch was just starting to take over and his outlook for what the groups who were lobbying for the music industry needed to be and do was so positive and so inclusive that they were saying, you know, we, a rising tide raises all boats. That's what we always say, right? Like we're all going to be fighting for different parts of the music industry in our own way. But if we do it together and we figure out what we want to do behind closed doors that can benefit everybody a little bit, we're just going to continue to rise. And I love that outlook because I think that it really is the only way that we're going to be able to protect the artists and the labels and the songwriters and the publishers because all of those people need to be protected, right? So one of the things that I learned really quickly was that um, there's a lot of explaining what the music industry does to um, representatives on the Hill. I will say that I was really surprised by how little people know about the music industry. So, you know, you were saying before, right? Like an artist, okay, they think Beyonce right? Mm -hmm. They think Carrie Underwood, they mm -hmm. think, oh my God, these artists, they have, first of all, tons of money, right? They've got all these teams and their teams are making tons of money and everybody's rolling in money. And the reality is that even for those people, that's not true. Yeah. And I mean, they do have, you know, they obviously have more money than most, but their entire teams all the way down are not rolling in dough. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at this, the majority of artists, the majority of musicians, and the majority of people in the music industry are at a very normal pay grade or yes. barely making it, right? Yeah. Like if you really look at an artist. And, you know, I think something else that's interesting, and, and I bring this up because a lot, like a lot of people that listen to this podcast are young people like in the Belmont oh, yeah. MTSU program or being interested in that. And I have a lot of conversations when you know, these kids get out of college and they're looking for their first job to explain to them there's not a lot of money. And, you know, it's interesting, like they'll come for these interviews and then you're so, and they don't talk about that no, in college. Like, I feel like they just don't tell you what to expect monetarily. And I think that's something that is missing, honestly. But, um, you know, and they come and, you know, people do these searches, you know, oh, I'm going to be a marketing assistant. This is what they make. And I'm like, yeah, if you work at Pepsi, Correct. You know what I'm saying? Correct. And it's like, it's, it's completely different in this industry. And I think there's a very warped vision 
of what those numbers are outside of. I agree. And I think that one of the things that's so hard, especially starting out, right. Is you, you get that job, let's say as a marketing assistant Mm -hmm. at your company, right. And you're like, Oh my God, I got this job. And 10 million people want that job because it's in a lot of ways, very glamorous. It's really cool. You get to do things that other people don't get to do. You get to go to shows. There's a lot of bonuses there, but you're right. Like the pay is not as competitive as, you know, it should be in some cases because it doesn't have to be because 10 million people want that job. Right. That too. So mm-hmm. it's all business. Right. But that's what people don't understand is they hear music industry and they hear, you know, rich person living in Beverly Hills, riding in their Range Rover, having the time of their life. Right. And, you know, more power to the people that are able to do that. That's awesome. You know, but for, for most people, you have to work a very, very long time to get there. And a lot of people, in fact, most people don't get there. So there are definite ways to make a living in music and to have, you know, a good living and a good life where you aren't a superstar. So I think that that's the first thing that you have to say is like, okay, the music industry is not just the biggest artist that you saw at your arena last week. Yeah. The music industry is session musicians. It's musicians on the road. It's tour managers. It's stage managers. It's people at labels. It's people at digital teams. You know, there are so many ways that you can get involved in the music industry. And I think that that is the first thing that we have to kind of break down to representatives, which is we're not just talking about, you know, Carrie Underwood. We're talking about people while we want to protect her too and her team and everyone else. We're also talking about, you know, the thousands upon thousands of people that make their living every day Mm -hmm. in music and that you've never heard of and you never will. Well, and it's funny. And I think it, I think it actually says something about kind of the structure of the music industry in that I think a lot of common people think that artists kind of do everything. Right. (laughs) When like, you know, your goal working with an artist is to give the artist a hundred percent of their space to create art and perform art. Um, Obviously in the beginning, you do a lot of those things, but if, if you're seeing it and it's a big thing, there's a lot of other people making that happen. The thing that I say whenever I talk to artists, which is so interesting, like, I, so for example, I have a friend who has been writing songs for a long time. He's a great musician out of Memphis. I absolutely adore his music, you know, and he has been writing songs and performing for 15 years and he has been doing it all himself. He's been getting pressed by himself. He's been booking his own you know, tour, he's been doing all these things. And I had lunch with him one day and I said, you know, I don't want you to feel like I'm telling you that I don't think you can do that. I want you to understand that I don't think you should do that. And this is why there is a team around these artists because the artist is the one who can create, right? Like if you can write a song, like, first of all, if you can write a song at all, right? Like that would be a Mm -hmm. dream of mine to be able to write a song. Like if my brain worked like that, I'd be like, move out of the way, new art queen in town. I'm the most creative person (laughs) you've ever met, right? My brain doesn't work that way. My brain does work to where I can help you get that song out. Mm -hmm. I can help you organize your life. I can help you book your tour or whatever it is that you specialize in. And I think so many artists, when they're coming up, think that they have to do it all. And it's like, do you really, like, let's take a step back. Like, do you actually think you're going to be an amazing artist, an amazing manager, an amazing publicist, an amazing digital person, an amazing lawyer? I mean, yeah. on and on and on and on and on. No, no one is amazing at all yeah. those things, you know? So that's one of the biggest things that I say to artists when I meet them and, is, and had this conversation. I was like, oh my gosh, you think you have to do it all because you've been doing it all for so long. Yeah. 
But really, if you can get somebody to help you who knows what they're talking about and, mm -hmm. and knows their side of the business and allows you to create the art, that art is going to be so much more strong. And, and that's what I think people kind of forget is like, you're, you're the quarterback. Like mm -hmm. you artists are the quarterback. You're the one that's able to do this. Like we are all like, yes, go in your room and figure out whatever it is, because I can't do that. I can't right. help you get it out. Like those yeah. are the things that people have to remember. Yeah. I think. But yeah. So um, back to RAAA, one of the biggest things that we do is really explain what the music industry is to legislation and talk to them about what it brings to the culture overall, the American culture. Um, talk to them about who in their districts work for the music industry and how many voters that they're talking about, right? Mm. Which is always a good, good, good point to bring up. Yeah. We talk about, you know, we show them how things work. So one of the first things that I did at RAAA was start RAAA Honors, which is an event that allows us to honor an artist, a record label executive, and policymakers in the same room. This was in 2019, and we're about to do our second one because obviously 2020 was not ideal to do one. In <laughs> 2019, we honored Miranda Lambert for her contributions um, in supporting women in country music. And she's been doing it forever. Like if you oh, go back, yeah, you know, totally. there's always been a lot of talk recently about women in country music. Yeah. Thank God, because there should be, because this it's, you know, but I, you know, I think women fought for that, man. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, it's always... been happening and you're yeah. finally starting to see some of the, some of the lights. Absolutely. And I was all on the next women in country train mm -hmm. and all that at CMT. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, yes. But you look back at some of these people like Miranda Lambert, who's had women on her tour forever. Right. Like, and those are, those are sometimes risky things to do. Right. Yeah. She's a woman headlining. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to take out the for sure guy that had number one or the, you know, the girl who's starting to come up and really looks like she might be making it. Yeah. And I think that Miranda and her team have made those choices for a long time to really support yeah. women. And, you know, she's been one of the lucky ones that broke through as a woman in country music. And I thought it was really important to honor that, not just, you know, as yeah. people have been talking about women in country music, but really showing off what she's done. 100%. So she came with Natalie Hemby and accepted our Artist of the Year Award, and they sang Bluebird, and it was magical and wonderful. We honored Lonre Gabba, who is an A&R executive at Atlantic, um, who helped find people like Cardi B and Lizzo. Mm -hmm. And the cool part about that was we had our COO, Michelle Ballantyne, interview Lonre, and really get into like, okay, so basic questions. Let's say you, you see a video of Lizzo. What do you do? Right? Like you guys decide you want to sign Lizzo. What happens next? Mm. Because most people don't people know. People don't know. Yeah. Right. How long had Lizzo been working before she mm -hmm. signed with the label? And what did she bring with her? And what did the label help amplify? And what, how did you make those decisions? And, you know, down to who's going to be your agent and who's going to be your manager and who's going to be her person, you know, all of that was determined. Yeah. And I think that just explaining in really layman's terms of how that process happens is something that we all take for granted. Like when we talk to yeah. somebody, um, you know, when we talk amongst ourselves, if I'm like, oh, well, her manager, you know what that means. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, that her yeah. manager is her. But like, if you CEO. don't know the music industry, you don't know what any of it means. Right. And like, I didn't know what it meant until I learned it, you know? Yeah. And when you say, you know, for example, if I say so-and-so's manager, like I'm ultimately saying 
the CEO of the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Right. Like yep. saying this is the person who is running the business yep. side of that and really running a brand and a company within itself. Funny, Backstreet Boys management was our last episode. <laughs> oh, well, I love them. So <laughs> they have always been awesome for me. Oh, I know. I've seen you at a Backstreet Boys concert. I know. I love. Them. I have no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> well, I meant I love their management too, but I did have a great time. <laughs> The, you know, Backstreet in Vegas is a pretty solid deal, but yeah, I mean, I think that they don't understand that that's really like somebody leading a company, being the CEO of a company and a brand. And yeah. And if you speak to them like that and you kind of just go, oh, actually that's what this is. They go, oh, okay. Right. Like, or think of it as a small business owner. It's a small business. Exactly. Every, every artist is a small business. Like, and, and in the term of small business, even superstars usually are still a small business. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And people don't and get that. I think that people in, you know, legislation and, you know, I give them all the respect because yeah, if you're dealing with gun control and, you know, pandemics, like maybe you don't have to know everything about the music business. I understand that, but it is our job to explain that and to make yeah. sure that they understand that you know, the amount of people that are working in it, as well as what they're doing and why they have to support it and protect it. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of times in my mind, I kind of picture it as them being like, okay, yeah, sure. The publishing people come in or, okay, yeah, you know, the label people come in and they want this. And like, ultimately, I don't know the difference between what publishing does and what labels yeah. does. And doesn't that label own a publishing company? And like, it doesn't make any sense yeah. if you're not in it. <laughs> So the music it, industry is very incestuous. It is very incestuous. And it gets confusing. Yes. And, you know, and for, to, to the credit of RAAA and to Mitch, like, he was like, we got to do this on our own and come to them and say, here's what we agreed on. Can we do this? And then we'll right. move up a little bit, you know, and we're not all going to get what we need or want mm -hmm. right away. But if we can try to do it little bit by little bit, we will make progress. And that's what the Music Modernization Act was and how that happened. Mm -hmm. was everybody coming together and, you know, really, you know, giving in on some things that maybe they didn't want to give in on and not giving in on other things, but ultimately coming together as a group and saying, Hey, we've agreed on this and we really need something to change. And it did. And that was pretty remarkable. And I want to say like the first time in almost 20 years that any legislation really, wow. you know, can you go into the music modernization act just for people that don't know so the Music Modernization Act really helped everybody in, in reality. One of the things that was really great that RAAA worked on a ton was the Classics Act, which was a part of that, which before that, before the Music Modernization Act, no act that had music out before 1972 was compensated for it, period. So you've got your Smokey Robinsons and all these people who came out with your Beatles, your Beatles, <laughs> your Rolling Stones, you know, all these people who have tons of music out there that are not getting compensated for it digitally simply because it wasn't in legislation until, you know, that 1972 yeah. day. So now people do make money off that. Obviously there was a lot more to the Music Modernization Act, including talking about, you know, how songwriters were paid and, and we could go on for that, you know, with that for days, but it was a great thing for everybody. And I really do think that the way that that came about was people really working together and saying, okay, you know, I have to give in on this. I don't have to give on, you know, this is what I care about. This is what yeah. I can kind of waver on. And it's all about a negotiation, but going to legislation together and saying, hey, this is what we need and we need it now. And it got passed. And that was, you know, a huge moment for music in general. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, it all comes down to like 
more has changed in everything from the recording to distribution, marketing, sales of music in the past 20 years than it had in the past hundred, you know? And so all this stuff changed. Technology moves very quickly. I mean, technology is why I'm even in business, you know, it's why we can even do this show. And so, yeah, things needed to change because nobody, nobody knew what the future was to even predict it. So, you know, obviously necessary and glad that changes have been and are still being made. So going back to, you know, the RAA honors and really showing people what we do on a, on a very high level, but just explaining how it all works. And, you know, there is a lot of money out there in lobbying and music does not have the kind of money that other big businesses do. Like dairy (laughs) or Google. Or, you know, I mean, there's a lot, right? Like there's a lot of money and a lot of people spend a lot of money. Yeah. And of course we spend money on lobbying, but it's nowhere near like Johnson and Johnson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we don't have yeah. that kind of money. No. What we do have is an incredible product, yes. which is the songs, right? Yes. Like we've got the artists and the songs and the things that make your life soundtrack right like so when you're thinking about it and you're talking to somebody and you're like you know what song played at your wedding what what makes you think of high school like when you think back it's all driven by some song right like it's always like that so I think that talking to people on a you know a really basic level like that when you're talking to people who don't necessarily know the business and you say okay look this is all the stuff that goes into that and this is how, you know, it affected your life. Imagine how it affected all of the America. people in the world. Yeah, lives, 100%. Right? yeah. So, I mean, I think that it's just really important to be able to communicate what we're doing. It's really important to work together with other lobbying groups for the music industry and overall just, you know, push through what we can when we can. Mm-hmm. So, so what are some of the things that you've seen kind of start to move or, or be accomplished during your time? When I started at the RAAA, you know, obviously it wasn't too far before the pandemic. I had about a year before we, we really, really got into this. And when the pandemic hit, you know, it devastated our industry. It was mm-hmm. complete, complete destruction for us, for artists, for touring crews, for management teams, anybody that you can think of, you know, there were so many people that were in need of help. And mm-hmm. one of the first things that we did in the pandemic was create musiccovidrelief.com, which is a website that serves as kind of a one-stop shop for everything that you need in terms of COVID relief. So mm-hmm. if an artist, let's say, you know, a, a, a songwriter, an artist is looking for a place to get some help, whether it's finding a grant, finding a scholarship, finding, you know, anything like that, plus how to work through their unemployment benefits in each state Mm -hmm. and apply for PPP loans. And I think that that was one of the biggest things, you know, that we could have done in the beginning. And my job was then to get the word out and say, look, this is here. It's available for you. Please use it. And if you don't know how to use it, if you don't know how to apply for these things, if you don't know how to get through your unemployment stuff, Mm -hmm. like come to me and it may not be me. It may be somebody who knows a whole heck of a lot more about it than me, but (laughs) it might be me, you know, like we will work with you. We will figure out a way to help you get help. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was, you know, of course, when this was all happening and we were all so scared, it was, it was a little sliver of hope that, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, we can, we can rally together as a music community and we can help each other and we can get these services out and we can show that 
you know, Music Cares has a fund and ACM Lifting Lives has a fund and all these people have funds that you can access and we'll show you how to get to them, you know, and let's, let's support each other, supporting each other. I mean, that helps huge. Cause like, even with us, like, although we ended up having like a really good year, I don't know if we would have even gotten through the first three or four months to have that good year because right. the first three or four months I had to lay some people off. I had to apply for a PPP loan and God knows I didn't know how to do it. I remember they like, Luckily, like we got so lucky, like we have Pinnacle Bank, which is like a local small bank. And because of that, they helped us through it. So like I'm at midnight up when they like release this thing. First of all, it was the first time I left my house during COVID because I, and like when it was like still really fearful because you had never left your house and you didn't really like know what to do. So I had to go buy a printer because you have to print and sign everything. And I was like, I don't have a printer because it's at the office. So I remember going to Target and I had on like uh, winter gloves with plastic gloves over them. And I'm like (laughs) freaking out trying this printer. Now I have this printer, but um, it took me from midnight one night with a short nap to 6 PM the next day to get it done because it was, and it was all about getting it done quicker than anyone else because there was a limited amount of money. So but this is how hard I know it was. Like I did it. And like, I had the help of my bank people and my accountant. And it was like, you know, other people in my team, there was a lot of us working on it and ended up being, I think it was like 184 page submission. You know, we send it. So I send it and I'm like, okay, I'm nervous. I immediately get a call from my bank. And this is to show, this is not to show how awesome I am. It's to show you how hard it is. So I get a call from my bank and they're like, but you are awesome. Thank you. They were like, <laughs> you are like, you know, the number, it was a pretty high number, like 70th person to submit this today. And you're the only one who has done it completely right. Not to say again, that I did it awesome, but the fact that like, there were all these other people that hadn't, like, that's how hard it was just to get the damn application correct to even submit it. So like, I'm just bringing this up to say, like having a resource for that is a big deal because it is it a big really deal. hard. And the fact that most people didn't know about it or didn't, mm-hmm. or maybe did, didn't know about it and didn't think that they were ever going to be eligible. You know how I it. heard about it? Oh gosh. What was it? I don't know if it was like a web clip or like the thing on TV, but it was a clip of Mark Cuban just kind of rambling about it. And I was like, wait, what, what is that? And like, that made me dig into it. And I was like ahead of the game because of that. But look, we got really lucky being a little ahead of the game, having a local bank that helped us. But like, I tell you right now, if I was still with Bank of America, which was like our first bank when we started CrowdSurf, no way in hell I would have got that money, you know? So it was, it was, it was a really big deal. So one of the other things, you know, as we've continued to fight for COVID relief and for, you know, more money to be given to the music community through legislation, you know, one of the things that was really important too was the mixed earner bill Mm -hmm. or um, getting the mixed earners included in the last Mm -hmm. COVID relief bill, which- And what exactly is that? So basically most contractors or a lot of contractors or freelancers, Mm -hmm. you might be making some money on a W-2 and some Mm -hmm. money on a 1099. Right. So you got to wait tables while you become famous. Right. (laughs) <laughs> or you might be doing something for a big organization yeah, that yeah. you and then you do a quick little bit for somebody who's doing a yep. indie project, right? Like it makes for sense. me, it was working in childcare and running MySpace pages. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so in the past, 
mixed income earners weren't always able to collect pandemic unemployment assistance because they made enough on a W-2 to just qualify for traditional unemployment, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't be able to get the pandemic mm-hmm. money right. because they were on traditional right. unemployment. So in this bill, we were able to get people to be able to basically justify both mm-hmm. and get what made the most most assistance available yeah. for them. And that was really important, you know, and in that Which, bill- Which, you know, might sound on the surface like greedy or something, but you got to understand no. too, like- I, I was in this position starting a company and nothing to do with the pandemic. But, you know, when I first moved to Tennessee to go to college, I had been working at a childcare center that was a very high paying childcare center. I was paying like 18 bucks an hour. And like, for me at like 19, that was a lot of money. Right. Um, and that was somewhere in Richmond, Virginia. I moved to Nashville. I could not get a job in childcare for more than like seven bucks an hour. So all of a sudden, one, my hours are cut because now I'm going to college full time at the same time. And even my pay is cut. And I went from having a car that was totally affordable to my income to one that I couldn't afford. So just like, you know, just because somebody can't pay a bill or like, I I hadn't done anything to like splurge or waste my money. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, I can see in that sense, just because like your server job or your whatever job isn't going to cover your bill. I can see some people looking at that, like, well, that should be enough. You can just like live cheaply. But like, if you're already committed to a payment, on a rent no, or a whatever, right. it doesn't just go away. <laughs> and most contractors, like if you're a freelancer, you you really are like, say you make $50,000 a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very easy that 35 of that comes from a W-2 and 15 yeah. comes from a 1099. Yeah. Like it's just, it's not your full income that you are basing yeah. your bills and your livelihood on. I just right? hear so many people like in during this whole thing, bitch about how like, you know, unemployment should be enough. And it's like, well, no. <laughs> well, I mean, that's like turning someone and saying, look, you know, now you live off of your $35,000 income and you still have your $50,000 bills, right? Like it doesn't, yeah, exactly. it doesn't work. Yeah. And I just think that's something that like people don't understand. It doesn't, it like, they look at extremes, you know, or like, right. oh, rich people. And it's like, it doesn't have anything to do with rich people. Right. It has oh, to do no. with like having a life you can afford and then something happening tragically or whatever, like unexpectedly. And then all of a sudden, that's not exactly being able right. to afford these things that you've committed to. That's exactly which are right. not out of the ordinary things. Right. Right. And you know, the other thing obviously that happened in that bill that was so big was save our stages, um, mm-hmm. which was a $15 billion program that, you know, was given to s- support live venues. So that was a huge win. And, and that was, you know, led primarily by Neva, which is a, a lobbying organization for live venues and events. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we supported that wholeheartedly, of course, um, and worked with them to try to push that through and, you know, are very, very thankful that that went through. Um, so did that money go directly to like workers of venues and things like that? So it goes to help keep the venues, um, in business. So, and that includes, you know, live venues, independent movie theaters, museums, zoos, you know, that Mm -hmm. have, you know, experienced significant Mm -hmm. loss from COVID. So that goes to assist those people in keeping those venues open and in turn, keeping their employees working yes. and keeping things available to the consumer and all of those things. Yes. Because, you know, I mean, that's the thing, live music. I mean, that's, there's so much that got, you know, trampled on in the yeah. pandemic, but live music, I mean, that was the first to shut down and it's going to be the last to come back, right? Like there is just no person. No way around it. Right. Yeah. Like you just, we were done with that. Yep. And 
any industry that you look at and you completely take away for a year, like how do you expect any of those venues to stay yeah. in business without it's crazy? So, you know, the music community coming together and really backing Neva and their needs yeah. for Save Our Stages was incredibly important and, um, you know, has made a huge impact and allowed a lot of venues to stay alive when they wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. Um, you know, not to go completely away from RAAA, but I also just worked as an executive producer on a video series for ACM Lifting Lives and get together this video series that really highlights um, the stories of the people in the industry who are not able or were not able to keep their livelihoods going during the pandemic and how they ended up getting assistance through ACM Lifting Lives to continue to be able to pay their mortgage, to pay their, you know, medical bills, to just live their lives. And um, so that is something that is really dear to my heart and obviously something that I really care very, very deeply about, which you know, I fight through the RIAA to get people assistance and we fight that way to legislation. But in addition, like there are opportunities out there to donate. So anybody listening that hasn't donated to AC and Lifting Lives, please go Let's donate. Do <laughs> also, you volunteer your time with St. Jude's, which I would love to hear more about. Um, I'd also like to hear about how to get more involved because I don't know why, like I'm at the point where like, I'd always want to get involved in things and I literally never know how. I am happy to get you. <laughs> Let me take your For whatever reason, I'm always like, time. it's always like, what are your volunteer things? And I'm like, I don't know. I feel like everything I sign up for gets canceled or like, <laughs> like I feel like I never can find the thing to like jump in, but I give money to St. Jude every month. I am would love to do more, you know? Yes, a partner in hope. <laughs> um, yeah, St. Jude is amazing. And I am so lucky to be on their Country Cares Board, um, which is a group of people in the music industry that help support St. Jude throughout the year. Um, and, you know, we, we try, to, try to do our best to bring whatever, you know, whatever brain power or ideas or connections we have to really help um, raise money for St. Jude. And I got involved with them a few years ago, really in Nashville. I grew up in Memphis. So St. Mm -hmm. Jude was always around. Yeah. Um, and I always had heard about it and knew about it and had actually like done church programs where I would go volunteer and things yeah. like that, you know, when I was a kid, but you know, I didn't really understand the depth and the magnitude of what they mm -hmm. did until I got involved through country cares and, mm -hmm. and being a part of this. Um, it has been so rewarding. I think that what they have done to embrace the music community and have the music community embrace them mm -hmm. has been amazing, right? Like they are so great at coming up with ideas that are truly beneficial for the artists and, mm -hmm. you know, life fulfilling, right? Like mm -hmm. those artists go to St. Jude and I, I can't, I can't explain like, what it's like to visit yeah. St. Jude. And if you haven't been, I need you to go. And I, I need you to come been. with me. Well, that was a thing. I had been talking to somebody about like taking our staff on a bus and then the pandemic happened. It's still on my like to-do list because I was like, I it. really want it to happen one day, you know? Do uh, but it. as you know, I mean, I just, I have so many connections with so many artists. I would love to, I, I just, I want a cause at this point, you know? Let's make it St. Jude. Cause I like I, I feel like I always dabble at everything and I like want to dig into something. So I got really close to some of the people in the national office and mm -hmm. love them dearly. And, you know, I have a booking pass. So I've booked artists for years and years and produced um, award shows and live music shows. Mm -hmm. So I have, you know, connections that I'm able to reach out to and, and book artists for things in a, you know, I think pretty good connections. So 
I kind of came to them and I was like, look, let me use this for, for good. How can I help you guys? You know? And I just started by saying like, okay, I want to, want to do a project with you. How can I help? And Mm -hmm. one of the first things I did with them was this show saves lives, which you've Mm -hmm. seen the shirts, like this Mm -hmm. shirt saves lives. Yep. AJ has one. Yep. And they did, um, this show saves live, which was really cool. It was at the Skirmer Horn in Nashville and they had like fashion show part of it and young performed and it was really neat. And they had never really done like a red carpet before for an event. Mm. So, and you know, I had like just done a red carpet and a yeah. show at the Skirmer Horn and I was like, Oh, I'll come do We that can do you. a red carpet. That's nothing. But, you know, <laughs> So that was like the first thing I did for them. And then from that moment on, I was like, okay, I'm hooked. Like, what do you need? How can I help you? Let's go. You know, I mean, I talked yes. about them this week and I was like, I haven't done anything in a, like a month. What, what, what do I need to do? What do you need me to do? Yeah. yeah. Like, who do you need me to bug? And you know, they yes, all- please. No, like seriously, please get me involved. Like I really used to want to do big brothers, big sisters, and yeah. they would never accept me because I travel so much. Oh no. no and no. then like, I feel like there's always something that gets in the way of me, like helping with something. And it makes me crazy. Well, and one of the things that I was telling, you know, I'm like, you can use your strength, right? Like you mm-hmm. have so many, like we all have so many valuable talents within the mm-hmm. music industry that transfer over to this. Like, yeah, whether it's, you know, bugging your connections to death. Sorry, we can guys. market and sell anything. <laughs> Coming up with a digital plan for something. Yeah. Like there's yep. so many opportunities that are kind of yeah. things that we look at things and go, oh yeah, no, that's easy. You know, yeah. and they are, that's a huge gift to them. So, um, the, the one thing that I will say is that if anybody is listening and they want to get involved to visit the hospital, it is a amazing experience. And these kids are the most amazing people. I mean, it's just, it's insane. And the thing about St. Jude is that no one ever pays a bill ever at all. And the one thing that I didn't know about them, even having grown up around it and even volunteering with them for a while mm-hmm. was that they're, all of their research is completely open. So like mm-hmm. people sometimes are like, well, I don't, I don't volunteer at this hospital because I volunteered at this hospital, right? Like mm-hmm. every hospital gets St. Jude's research and they mm-hmm. benefit from what yeah. St. Jude is doing. Yeah. And I think that that is so important to know that it's not like you have to choose one, right? Like mm-hmm. go, go do your local children's hospital, please. Yeah. Right. And help St. Jude and they yeah. all work together. And so, yeah. you know, so I think that that's really important to mention, but there's always, there's always opportunities. And I think that, you know, the national office does such an incredible job. I love that. Um, so also talking about research, going back to RAAA, R-A-A-A. you guys do a ton of research. Can you tell us some stuff? What have you <laughs> researched? You? What have you found out? Um, it is really great. We do a lot of research on who the audience is for music and, you know, what the trends are in terms of mm-hmm. buying and streaming and how it's mm-hmm. all working and, and what direction it's going. And it's just kind of a wealth of knowledge. And what people don't realize is that it is all available for free for you at riaa.com. Um, and it is really easy to go and find some really important things, not just for, you know, our knowledge in the music industry, but again, back to, you know, reaching out to people in legislation and showing Mm -hmm. what a huge business we are, how valuable we are to the culture, Mm -hmm. how valuable we are to business 
and how many people are working. One of the things, you know, the research we do is we do yearly, we do a mid-year research report that you'll get emailed to you. Probably you get all of those from me, but all of that is constant. Another thing that we've done recently is called the 50 States of Music. And we did it a few years ago. We're revamping it now, but it's a really cool tool to use in lobbying and legislation outreach that showcases by state, how many mm-hmm. venues, how many musicians, how many people working in the music industry and really breaks it down very easily mm-hmm. to show you what That's is super interesting. what's happening. And it's, it's a great mm-hmm. lobbying tool, right? Like you go in yeah. with a congressman from Alabama and you're like, did you know there are blah, blah, blah venues in your state? Yeah. And this is why you need to support Save yeah. Our Stages. And, you know, yes. that sort of thing. So, you know, obviously working at RAAA, you've gotten to, you know, meet a ton of, you know, superstar music artists, present them with things, work with them on events. What are, what are some of the cool moments you've had or events you've done? We get to do a lot of really cool stuff. We've done a ton of, you know, golden platinum presentations, which have been really fun. One of the first ones that I did uh, working at RAAA was with Lauren Daigle who I love. <laughs> and um, I had never really been in that, that room. And, you know, mm-hmm. and I got up and spoke and I was really nervous because it looks kind of like my first real, like in-person <laughs> presentation. Yeah. And it was super fun. And, and just how excited she was and how excited her team was. It was, that was really cool. Um, and when in COVID, we've done a ton of virtual presentations, which mm-hmm. has been great. I talked to you about a little, a little about RAAA honors with Miranda Lambert, the last mm-hmm. in 2019, which was totally such a, an effective event for people. And, and one of the things that I didn't mention about then was that was actually happening on the day that right the first yeah. impeachment was brought up. Right? right. And we were, it was crazy. Cause I'd never done a government event, right? Like this was my first mm. like event for representatives or staffers right. on the Hill and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm worried about like, and you're in DC, in DC. Yeah. <laughs> In the Capitol, doing a show. Interesting day to be in DC. And I was in DC, and I, from the background I come from, I'm like, is Miranda here? Is she happy? Or you know, is this person going to be on time? Is blah 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 blah. And meanwhile, the head of policy, my boss, comes over and is like, we may not be having this. They just brought up impeachment, and I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, no. What are you talking about? We're not. No, no. Like, because that would never like affect. A show, happening. a show, right? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, well, Miranda Lambert's in the other room. Like, and she's like, well, the president might get impeached. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, I see your point, but I'm gonna need. But we have Miranda Lambert. That's happened, you know. Um, <laughs> so I was like so stressed out. But at that point, you know, we were honoring a Democrat and a Republican as policymakers of the year. They came in, you know, it was, it was very scary. It was down to the wire. Is it going to happen? You know, all that kind of stuff. We get it to happen. All these people in the room, we honor both sides of the, you know, both sides of the aisle. They come together and they actually bring up, you know, on a day like today, when there's so much division, we can come together and be as one celebrating music. And it was like literally one of those moments where I was looking at what we were doing and I was, I just stopped and I was like, oh my God, this matters, right? Like this matters so much. That's like a mic drop moment. Yes. It was one of those moments where I was like, this "This is my point. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like it was really (laughs) like, 
exactly, sir. Um, you know, and it, it was really meaningful to be there. And, and as scary as it was, and as, you know, much as maybe my boss was like, yeah, actually, this is a bigger deal than what you're thinking about. <laughs> it was really cool because people really did come together and they, you know, they celebrated music and they listened to an amazing performance and had an afternoon that kind of put that away for a minute. You know, and yeah. then they all ran off and, yeah. and did their thing. <laughs> well, that's kind of like that's kind of your point in general, and that's what that's what music kind of is, you know. Exactly, and that's why it's important to protect it. Um, but coming up in September, we're doing our second RIAA honors. We are celebrating the pioneers of hip hop, which we are super excited about. We're honoring Grandmaster Flash and MC Light. So um, cool! It's going to be awesome. And this is also in DC. Also in DC. So we have a new building in DC, RIAA, and we have a performance space in our building that's really actually mm-hmm. very cool. And if anyone is listening and has artists coming to DC that want to visit. Uh, good to know actually yeah i know i feel like that i mean here's the thing like and this is what happens when any of our artists go anywhere they say i'm in omaha where am i gonna visit you know like we do hear this all the time so i i've got a dc option yeah we have a little usually it's kids bop radio that's the only other thing in dc (laughs) we have a performance space um we have a small recording studio in the new building, which is really cool. You know, if anybody's in town and they need to have a recording studio at their, really cool. you know, at their whatever yeah. hands, they can have it. But the the performance space, you know, ideally is for us to showcase music to legislators, to representatives, to mm-hmm. staffers, to people that don't normally get to see it. And you would be real surprised mm-hmm. how much that matters. When some of those representatives yeah. met Miranda Lambert, you know, the difference is, is when we, when music, we don't have them lobbying money as much, but when we can say here, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to get to meet so-and-so artists. Celebrity. Exactly. You get to meet a celebrity. You get to take a picture. Like that gets us five or 10 more minutes in their office lobbying for yeah. the protections that we need. Yeah. And that's ultimately the goal, right? Like yeah. if, if bringing a Backstreet Boys to your office or, and having you take a picture with them is going to let you listen to what we need to protect our industry, like we will bring them all day long, you know? So (laughs) if you are in DC and you are an artist, please let me know. I will set you up with some meetings. That's awesome. (laughs) I love that. So when I first met you, you were working at CMT and you worked there for a long time. I was there for 16 years. Yeah. So, but it's kind of funny because I, and it's weird that we never met before that at some point, but we met because AJ from the Backstreet Boys is doing a country album and we came in and, and, and we, and we meet it and greet it. And, uh, and then we hung out in Vegas and you went and saw the Backstreet Boys. And then I came to your Lady Annabellum event and all the fun things. But, um, you know, I was reading kind of through your CMT accolades, the thing that I'm most interested in talking about is Crossroads. Oh, yeah. Because I love Crossroads. Oh, Crossroads is awful. What are some of your... So Crossroads is a show that CMT... I guess they still do it. Oh, yeah. Where they take a country artist and a like another genre artist, right. pop artist, a rap artist, whatever, and they basically like do a show together and they do some songs um, from each catalog and they perform them together and it's really freaking cool. Um, so... What were some of like your memorable uh, Crossroads shows? Oh, I loved Crossroads. That was one of my favorite shows to work on for sure. Yeah. I mean, it not only was it like just really cool musically, like yeah. it also introduced me to all these different genres 
with yeah. different camps, right? Like it was so yeah. cool to work with all those different people that I didn't yeah. normally get to work with. Gosh, one that stands out. One of the best, one of the really great ones, uh, Katy Perry and Casey Musgraves that we went oh, to LA to do. Right. And I was like, yeah. that was just super cool because of who, you know, who it was yeah. and musically, like they were perfect. But the yeah. cool thing is when like you get these pairings and, you know, several people would book that show and you might hear one and be like, really you know and then you'd get in the room and what yeah. they would do musically to match each other was so cool mm-hmm. and sometimes it was like the most unexpected um, well, and I think what's cool is all of this was very top quality talent oh, sure. and musicians who could get in a room and do that it you know takes so much work on the part of artists to make yeah. that show work and the cool thing is is that artists wanted like the the ones who you book for that show want to be there yeah and they are going to put in the work to to honor the other person's songs to learn yeah. them to you know change their songs to match mm-hmm. different keys and different styles and all that and um, that some of my favorite I mean one of my favorites that was just so fun was Luke Bryan and Jason Derulo and mm-hmm. it was just a blast like that was just one of the See, okay we have to say it I I just I dropped this this term for anybody that comes up that needs to needs to get it said but Jason Derulo is so hot <laughs> <laughs> yes yes like I didn't know I liked Jason Derulo until I saw him at like I don't know some Jingle Ball show, and I was like, "Uh, I'm in love with Jason Derulo, so hot." And I mean, so hot in like his stage presence. He's like a one man boy band. He is amazing, and it, it that was just like the most fun show because you're just like yeah. wiggle, 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 like all through the, like that stage. <laughs> like I'm like, hey. um, the one, oh. John Legend. Mm. John Legend and Leanne Womack did a crossroads. Mm. And if you want to talk about people being like, he is so, I mean, the amount of times that I think I said he is so hot, like a <laughs> hundred Was Chrissy times. Teigen there? No, she wasn't there. But I just, I, that was like musically amazing. And it was, yeah. it was just, it was beautiful, you know? Like, and, and it was so funny because I just remember like all of us like standing there, just like mouth open, like, yeah. in awe of what was happening. God, there were so many great crossroads. I mean, my favorite, because as you know, I'm a huge Fall Out Boy fan, oh, yeah. was Fall Out Boy and the band Perry. I was there. That's a great At Rocket Town. And it was, oh my gosh. I remember when I like got wind of this, it was like, here's my game. I ask for nothing until the one thing comes up that I cannot live without. And I'm like, every favor I've done for everybody, I need to be <laughs> that's amazing yeah that was a really good show that was so cool musically too I mean that's the thing is that like when you when you hear like Van Perry and Fall Out Boy like you might be like what and it ended up being like amazing it was really cool like really really I love that show that's yeah yeah, I mean good and then of course and I I wasn't there I was in LA at the time but there was Backstreet and Florida Georgia Line I feel like every friend of mine in history was there but I was stuck in LA that was so fun (laughs) <laughs> and um, God, Maren Morris, Alicia Keys Ooh. was amazing. Stevie Nicks and Lady Annabellum was killer. Ooh, that was I didn't even really, know that really That's good. awesome. Yeah. Avid Brothers, Randy Travis. Like there, there were some I really Randy amazing. Travis. I love Randy Travis. I, I love him too. Um, One Republic and Dirks. Like there were some great ones that that was just such a fun show to work on. And it was yeah, very, you know, cool. I mean, it's so reliant on the artists, like doing their homework and doing the yeah. art. And it's really cool to be a part of that creative when people are so 
committed to being in a show mm-hmm. and really doing what they need to do to be in it. it yeah. Like, and it's just like making magic TV. Like to me, it's the type of magic TV that like TRL was. Yeah. You know, and there's not that much magic TV anymore unless it's an award show. Right. You know, yeah. it's just like, well, there's that, not like, that much music TV. I mean, no, there's, I guess that's it. You know, you know, there's not much musical TV and it's when you have those great pieces, they're so exciting to watch and, and, and also to be a part of. You know, I was reading about how, you know, when you started at CMT, that was when digital was kind of starting to be a a thing and social media, which is interesting because that's also when I started in the music industry. And so I was at Warner Brothers Records and um, I had come from Disney and it was the same thing. Like, you know, I remember at Disney, Radio Disney, I was running like the local website. And then, you know, I get to Warner Brothers and it's, I'm working in the new media department and oh my gosh, what is, what is uh, MySpace? What do we do with this? What is Facebook? What is YouTube? Oh my gosh, Google bought YouTube. I mean, there's just all of this. So you were kind of diving in on that side the same time I was doing that with the label side. I feel like I was definitely in the right place at the right time because I Mm -hmm. got like all this responsibility and a Mm -hmm. budget to do a bunch of creative programming for something that no one knew what it was. Right. Right. Here. Well, it was funny because, you know, I was, I was a kid back then, you know, I was like, and I tell this story a lot, Cassie and I, Cassie was hired as a temp. I was hired as a contractor. And that was because they didn't know if digital was going to stick around. So they weren't going to like make real jobs out of it. But I remember like kind of from the sidelines being the kid who's like commenting on MySpace and adding friends and talking about like, Oh, we're gonna do this like CMT content with the wreckers, or it was like big and oh, rich. God, I love the wreckers. Oh, we love the wreckers. But that was like I was there when that was like a big thing. And I remember like it was getting close to hitting a million and like seeing like all the pieces kind of come together and like how to do that. And then they come down to our room and be like, what are we, what else do we do on MySpace? How do we sell another record? Yeah. Like it was just so cool to kind of like do that all at the same time, you know. But then we'd see like they'd come because our room had like the big like we it's actually weird like we had a corner office that they turned into like the digital department and so we had like a big tv and like a sitting area and they'd come in and, like you guys would make these pieces and they'd sit down like everybody would come in the building and sit there and watch them in our room and then they'd like ask our opinion and stuff because it's digital and it was like really really cool time to be a part of something especially like when we were kids and just like starting out and being oh, yeah. able to like dive in and have an opinion it was it was a lot of the same like being there at the right time yeah and I mean I started they started by needing somebody to do VOD video on demand like when you go to Comcast mm-hmm. and there's like extras right like you yeah choose your yeah. video on demand extra yes that was yeah. what I started with well that would be the kind of pieces people you know they would come and show and it would be like oh that's cool and then it'd be like how do we do something like this for so-and-so and, right and, yeah. and we were doing all these like extra pieces for VOD and then it became maybe we need to do this online and maybe we need to have like original content Mm -hmm. digitally and what does that look like and I think that I was just like a little go-getter in the middle of CMT like give me more give me more give me more give me more probably annoyed the crap out of my boss at the time (laughs) Louis Bogash thanks Louis (laughs) and just kept like being like what can I do what can I do what can I do you know and they were like, God, give it to her, right? Like, yeah. do it. Well, that's how we were too, you know? And like, it, it, I think it was more of like, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this because people didn't know what to do yeah. when it came to this. But the cool thing, and this was probably you too, like we were just kids that hung out on the internet for fun. Yeah. 
but we knew how it worked. Well, I mean, and it was that simple. We ended up, you know, having a digital team that, you know, it was me leading, you know, helping to lead four producers, I think, mm-hmm. and some APs. And, you know, and we had this team that did like extras for shows that we had, mm-hmm. but we also got to create like different originals, right? Like our, mm-hmm. one of the things we did was called The Outsider. And it was like mm-hmm. a parody. Um, CMT at the time had Insider, which was their news program, which is now right. part right. of Hot 20 Countdown. But Insider was a separate standalone show. And it was basically mm-hmm. like, you're an insider at all the events, right? Like mm-hmm. you went backstage at the CMAs and you went backstage here and you got to go mm-hmm. to making blah, blah, blah. So we created the outsider, which was like mm-hmm. the people trying to get in. Like we were like the people trying to get in that got turned yeah. away all the time. It was just like, I mean, I would go to music festivals and stage this stuff where an artist would kick us out. You know, like it was just the oh, most so fun. fun. And I'm like, I mean, we would kind of look around and be like, they're paying us to do this. <laughs> We're literally making like sketch videos in our basement, but they're paying us to do it. (laughs) It was great. It's great. So that was. I feel the same way a lot. You know, it was like, I'm literally physically chasing a Backstreet Boy with my cell phone. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be doing this anyways. (laughs) You're like, this just is when they're not sending the security team after me. It's just like when they're paying you, 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 you can't do illegal things. (laughs) Right. It was so fun. I mean, I remember being at Austin City Limits Festival and like just. I mean, we did crazy stuff. Like we did really crazy stuff, but it was so fun. And us just being like, we were this little like group of like friends that ended up getting yeah. free. I mean, it was like, you're like a kid creating videos. Yeah. It was so fun. You know, it was little, such a fun time, you know. We started the first, uh, oh God, I have it here. Okay, hang on. Okay. <laughs> I have um, the first CMT online awards. Oh, Look at that. It was a mason mason jar jar with a sparkly mouse inside because at the time an online award show was such a joke that we made them to be ridiculous. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. The host of that online award show was Taylor Swift. (laughs) Where we shot at her home. I mean, like it was, it's just the craziest shit, you know, and Lady Annabellum was the garage band. And, you know, but it, it was amazing and it was fun. It was like our first little online award show. It was fun. So that was a really good time. That's so cool. That's so, and it's funny because like I was working somewhere else in town at that time. Like I have my memories of that time and those artists and the things that were going on. So it's cool. It's cool to have like been part of that, you know, because I just don't think like, I don't know, you're not going to have another digital revolution. I know. And at the time, you know, we were all going, no, y'all, like, this is going to take over. It's going to happen. This is going to take over. And and everybody's like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. You know, and it's, it's funny. Like, I say this, like, to be honest, I, and I'm one of those people, like, I'm a loyal, like, worker. Like, when I work places, I've worked there for a long time. Like, I've always yeah. been like that. Um, and at the time, you know, Warner wouldn't add real jobs. And it came down to like, well, we kind of need health insurance. So we got to do something, you know, know, type of thing. And uh, we ended up starting our company because of that. That's amazing. You know, because it was like, well, nobody's going to actually give us a real job doing this. So let's just do it ourselves. So, you know, it's interesting if, if they had been adding those jobs, I could see myself still being there, honestly. I mean, well, that worked out well for you. It did work out well because the Backstreet Boys are not signed to Warner Nashville. So... (laughs) You'd, and you would have been arrested at the concert chasing them down. With the yes. Company. So yes. now you get to do it for pay, right? Like, I mean, you get to get paid. 
now they expect me to chase them and run. And I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> There's a lot of fast walking and production. There's as a you lot know. of fast walking. And I'm always like, <laughs> and like, I have to fast walk while taking the damn photo. Yeah, and it's like, oh my God. Yeah, the number a lot of stairs running. I have fallen down. It's like, I, oh I don't, I'm not a great workout person, but I've done my fair share of production runs. So. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love being on like an arena tour. Like I do so many steps in a day, yeah. you know, and I just like walk the circle and like talk on the phone and oh, totally. it's great. Miss those. Actually, it was funny. I started talking today. I was like, what would y'all think about going back in the office? Like I hadn't really thought about it yet, but I was like, I just feel like just little things like me having to walk to my damn car and walk up and down the stairs would are be going good. to like be good because yeah. I'm so lazy right now. And so I was like, maybe we'll do that again. Yeah. Like maybe it's time. So maybe yeah. we're getting there. Are you, well, you, I guess you work at home because you're the only person in Nashville on your team. Yeah. I'm the only Nashville person for RAAA. So you will still be like this post COVID, yeah. correct? Yeah. And do you like working at home? You know, I really do. It is, um, it's different for sure. It's, there's, there's also a difference between working at home and working at home during a pandemic. And also working at home when your child never goes to school. Correct. Yes. So like for yes. those months where we didn't have school or daycare or whatever, yeah. like that was a whole new world. Right. <laughs> and now like, and I mean, it's really hard, like in general to work when you have a kid at home, because like, first of all, you know, mommy, 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 mommy. Yeah. And second of all, like, I'd rather go play with her. <laughs> right? Like, like a hundred no because okay. like I, I actually spent a lot of time at my parents house during the pandemic and my nephew is there every day and he does his online school and then it's like play with me play with me play with me and I'm like and here's the hardest part when I'm the boss I can be like yeah I'm just gonna go play. like it's even harder to like right. not do those things and give in it's like okay maybe like on Friday well I'll stop yeah. working a little so early but yeah it's hard and that's not even me being completely responsible it's my mom and dad being responsible and me just like getting the extra of it, you know? So yeah, it, it was definitely imagine. hard during that time because also my husband was then at home working. Mm -hmm. So now we've got like all of us in the home, we're taking yeah. gifts, you know? I mean, that was a whole new world. Yeah. Working at home in general has been honestly a lot better than I thought it would be. Cause yeah, you know, my job also consists of really, you know, networking a ton and, yeah. and seeing a lot of people educating them mm -hmm. on what RAAA is doing, what we need to do, what legislation mm -hmm. needs to get passed, how we need help, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. what is available to the artists and to their teams. Yeah. So that's a ton of meeting with people. And yeah. so before the pandemic, it was, it felt great. Cause I would just kind of like book up my week, right. Mm -hmm. Of like meetings and work from home in the morning, go meet somebody, you know, yeah. I mean, it was, it was great. And I didn't feel like lonely or anything yeah, you know, in yeah, terms yeah. of like going yeah. from an office to working from home. Cause I got to see yeah. people I, all the time, all the time. <laughs> oh, I miss my work meetings. I really do. Yeah. I, I really do. Cause it was always like, okay, like three to four nights a week, I'm going to be doing a work meeting, you know? And like, to me, it was also kind of my social time. And well, it is, I mean, especially you know, after, I mean, you've worked in the industry for almost 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Like me too. Like your friends are in the industry too. Yeah. You know, you've got your, yeah. you've got your friends in the industry that you can also, yeah. you know, meet with. And yeah. have, I mean, it's social mixes. Right. So, yeah. And thank God for that. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's just different. And I think going from CMT to working at home, like I was really scared that I was going to be like 
because I'm a people person. Yeah. You know, I had a big social life within the office. (laughs) But um, Yeah. Well, I will say like, I do enjoy besides like not going to meetings. I do enjoy not being bothered all the time. Cause like, if they're knocking on your door, it's hard to say no, but if they're texting you, you can ignore it. (laughs) That is true. That is true. It's a little, I can't, but I can just, you know, I have to like tune out and do the thing. If I have to like, I don't know, like write some proposal or, you know, it's like, I have to focus and I've just been able to do that a lot better. So yeah, there are those moments where you're like, no, I actually have to do this project and I have to make it a completed thing. Yes. (laughs) Well, and I think too, like even looking at going back in the office, I think it'll be a different like structure than it used to be. And it'll kind of be like, you can use the office when you want. <laughs> like, I don't, it's not going to be like show up nine to five or whatever, you know? Yeah. Cause we've all shown that we can do what we need to do without doing. It. So where can people follow you? I am on Instagram at Jackie K Jones and you can follow RAA at RAA awards. Yay. Yay. Also, you can follow me at Fully Jade, How I Got Backstage. This episode has been edited by Hannah Humphreys and is a production of Crowdsurf with original music by Cody Falcosky.